Hey, thanks for joining us online today. We're going to continue in our study of Romans. You know, as a kid, and a substitute teacher showed up, we thought it was open season. Now, our homeroom teacher would warn us, you treat a sub like you treat me. Uh, sometimes we'd listen, sometimes we wouldn't, depending on the teacher. And depending on the teacher, we'd face consequences the next day. You know, God views government a bit like that substitute teacher. Government stands in his stead. And he expects us to submit to government. Well, why is that? We want to talk about that today. It's more than just submit. I, I think there's good reason for us to submit to government. So if you have a Bible, if you'd open it to Romans chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to go through verse 7, wrestling with this question, why should Christians submit to government? Now just to get us up to speed, first eight chapters of Romans, Paul develops the gospel and he lays out the idea that we're all separated, religious, non-religious. And on our own, we can't make it to God. But then he lays out the beauty of the gospel and he calls us reconciled and restored and we have peace with God. Uh, verses 9 through 11, he takes a, a quick look at the nation of Israel because in his day they were rejecting God and, and says God's not surprised by that. God's not thrown. In fact, it was part of his plan. So then in Romans 12, we get to the practical application. In light of what God's done for us, what should we do? And verse 1 started this way, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice. Right there, we're, we're to submit to God. We're to be a, a sacrifice that stays on the altar. And we played out that submission last week to submitting to others, particularly within the body of Christ. And today, that submission, God translates, that submission to God translates into submitting to government. So with that set up, let me read our first two verses. Here's what it says. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why? Well, second part of verse 1. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. So government authority, it's coming from God. He's established government. Conclusion, verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. There we have it. God says, look, there's a day when Jesus is coming back and he's going to set up his kingdom on earth and he's going to be in charge. But in, until that day, government is God's vehicle to maintain order. And we can't assume Jesus is coming back soon. It could be tomorrow, but it could be a thousand years. So, so we need to plan like government is God's vehicle that's going to maintain order for us. And God says, in order for that to ha happen, people need to submit. And if you don't, you'll give an answer to God for that lack of submission. Now, let's, let's think about it practically. You know, uh, we enjoy the roads we drive on, and we, we feel fairly safe in getting to church, getting to the grocery store, getting home. That's government. 
Our house catches on fire. We, we, we can call the, the fire department. That, that's government. Somebody breaks into our house, we can call the police department. That's government. We go to a restaurant and we feel fairly safe because there's health standards that that restaurant has to meet. That's government. We feel safe in our country because we have a military that's got planes and it's got ships and it's got all kinds. Of, that's government. Outside of what the Bible has to say, we need government to work for us to function. That makes sense. So this call to submit shouldn't be that much of a problem, but, but it is. Well, why is it? Part of it is because, because us as citizens, uh, we like the concept of government, but we don't like having to submit to that law or that speed limit or that new policy or that new politician. Or God says, you need to, or you'll answer to me. But there, there's a second reason we have a problem with government, and that is this. Sinful people, remember sinful people are, are separated from God, who are living for themselves. They fill those government positions. And instead of answering God's call and God's plan, they serve their own purposes. Even taking God out of the picture, public servants are, are, are called to swear an allegiance to serve the public, but, but, but many don't. They use the power of those to, to line their pockets, to exercise power illegitimately, to administer government, not according to the rules and regulations that government has set up, but according to their own personal bias. Do you know Jesus had a problem with governing authorities? See, Israel was a theocracy. And so the religious leaders also had civil authority. And so shortly before Jesus was crucified, he called a man named Lazarus back from the dead. That ought to be reason for celebration. A person's been united with his family. Yet Caiaphas, the high priest, said this, it's better that one man should die, that one man being Jesus, than a whole nation should perish. Now, unknowingly, Caiaphas served the purpose of God, but don't doubt his motivation. He wanted to hold on to control. He wanted to hold on to power. So it should be no surprise, uh, six weeks later, Jesus was crucified. He resurrected on Easter Sunday. He spent 40 days on earth before he ascended. And he, he commissioned the disciples, you're taking the message forward. So on that Pentecost day, the, the Holy Spirit comes on and, and Peter preaches in Jerusalem and 3,000 people come to faith in this resurrected Jesus. Shortly thereafter, they're, they're walking, Peter and John are walking around the, the, the temple and there's a beggar there. He's been lame since birth, and he, he says, you have any money? Peter said, I don't have money, but i tell you what I, I have. I give to you in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And I would think that would be cause for the government to celebrate. You just moves somebody from the roles of charity, the, the roles of, of self-reliance. That's what a government wants. But the same people that were threatened by Jesus and were trying to hold on to power are threatened by his disciples. And so in Acts 4, they say, uh, you, guys, you guys need to keep talk, quit talking about this. And in verses 8, 19, and 20 of Acts 4, Peter and John answered this way, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But here's the deal. We cannot stop speaking about we, what we have seen and heard. We saw Jesus come back, and, and we're, we're not going to stop talking about it. We're going to do what's right, and because you desire power and control, I want to call you to account. So, today, 
in our nation, we're living in a time of unrest. People of color, specifically black people, most black people, are upset with government. Why? Because they're not doing their God-ordained duty. Look, we said government is God's vehicle. Government represents God. God cares about life. They're not doing their government-ordained duty in protecting their lives. Well, Andy, what are you talking about? Listen, we would all agree that vigilante justice is unacceptable. If I can just take justice into my hands and you can take it into yours, then, then, then we're a culture that's going to be characterized by, by blood feuds in the wild, wild west. And, and our, our uh, laws specifically prohibit somebody from exercising justice on their own. You got a problem with somebody, you walk the process. Our nation is full, historically, of people who have taken the law into their own hands and judge black people with no repercussions. Let me give you perhaps the most egregious example of the last 50 or so years. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy in Mississippi. He walked into a grocery store. The owner and proprietor, Carol and Bryant, alleged he made inappropriate comments and actions. Much later in her life, she recanted that. But at the time, she didn't. A few nights later, her husband and his half-brother broke into Emmett Till's house, dragged him out, beat him, mutilated him, and shot him. Dumped his body in a river. Later, they were arrested on kidnapping and murder charges but an all-white jury found them not guilty. After that verdict, they, they admitted they'd indeed shot him. But so there's no double jeopardy. That's a miscarriage of justice. That is people exercising justice according to their personal bias and prejudice. And yet the church was by and large silent. And where are we? We understand that government is God's vehicle and represents God until he comes back. And we know God values life. Where are we? You say, no, 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 Andy, you know, that, that was 1955. We've changed. We've progressed. Look, we've had the civil rights movement. Okay, February 23rd of this year, Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man, goes for a jock. There are some people who think he may have been the perpetrator in some break-ins in their neighborhood. So the thing they would do then is call 911, right, and, and have the police talk to the man or report him, or they didn't do any of that. One of them got a three fifty seven revolver. The other got a shotgun and got in a truck. There was a second truck that followed, and they approached Arbery. There was a, a scuffle. He tried to escape. They blocked his escape, and in the scuffle, he got shot, and he got died. And he died. Vigilante justice, right? It's open and shut. These people should be arrested. You can't take the law into your own hands. 74 days. No charges until somebody puts the video online and it goes viral and there's an outcry. The governor of Georgia has to step in. See, black people wonder, where is government? And, and, and church, where are you being people of the book, understanding that government is God's surrogate until Jesus gets back and reflects his values. Where are you? 
in this. See, as the pastor of North Point Community Church, here's how this comes home to me. We have two fine young men who are seniors at North Star High School. They've been coming to this church a while. They are brothers in Christ. I've interacted with them a bunch because they've, they've taken several of the classes that I've taught. They're on the cross-country team. They're on the track team. They run distance. What distance runners do is they run. They run, 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 run. More in a week than most of us run in a lifetime. And you guessed it, they're black. Here's my question as the pastor. Are we committed to saying they will run in this neighborhood without fear? of somebody exercising justice on them? Will we demand of our government that they protect lives? See, when I talk to these guys, one told me, he said, Andy, when I run north of here, out in the country, I, I, I look around because I'm concerned. Are we committed to having a community where he can run freely? Now, one of these guys is, is, is really accomplished, and he's going to run at the Division I level. I ask him where he wants to go, and he says, Andy, I want to go someplace warm. So he's going to probably go south. Are we committed to have a nation where we can run freely? See, we desperately need government to work. It's what we've got until Jesus comes back, but we need it to work fully for all people, representing the character and nature of God. With that in mind, let's go back then to our passage with this call to submit to government. Verse 3. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. Now verse 4, two times, government is going to be called a minister of God. Twice. Here we go. For it, government is a minister of God to you for good. Government is God's servant to you and to me for good. Well, how do they play out this good? Second part of verse 4. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it, government does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is, here's our term again, a minister of God. How? Being an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Government serves our good by being a deterrent. Look, until Jesus comes back, we're going to live in a sinful world. And we're going to need the deterrent of government to maintain order. But as government exercises authority, we need them to do it in an appropriate way, in a way that is fitting with the character of God. So let me just take one topic, the need for a deterrent. Driving in Lincoln streets. If there's no deterrent and people can speed without any concern about getting a ticket or, or, or uh, uh, being held responsible for an accident they cause, what, what, what is it like to drive in our streets? And, and what kind of conflict are we looking at when somebody drives fast and they hit you and that makes me mad and says, so I'm going to take it in my own hands because you were fool. It, it gets out of hand quickly. We need the deterrent of police officers with a radar gun saying, you know, I, I got you going 10 miles over the speed limit. And we're good with that in theory until we get pulled over. And that's why can't the police do this and that? They should be doing this and that. I got his permission to share this, but we have two sons. One is 18. He comes over here every Wednesday and we have uh, lunch together. 
And this particular Wednesday in May, he was on his way back. He went down Fletcher and around uh, where it becomes 33rd by North Star High School. Police officer clocked him, going 50 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. He pulled him over. Asked for his license, uh, proof of insurance, and registration. He was good on the registration insurance. He was driving on an expired license. We didn't know. He's the first child in our family to drive. So, an 18-year-old speeding on an expired license. How'd that go? The officer intimidate the kid? Maybe bully him? Being irresponsible? No. It was none of that. He was courteous. He was respectful. He wrote him a ticket. My son had to take the stop class, the defensive driving class. He had to pay court costs. But the officer treated my 18-year-old son professionally. And as a parent, I'm grateful. As an appropriate response. And I, and I would argue we saw the justice system there reflecting the character and nature of God. My son's going to be offered a chance at redemption. No points on his license. Now he's got three years, he gets another ticket. No stop class. Because of the way that officer responded, it worked beautifully and it reflected the nature of God. Now most all of us have seen the video of George Floyd, haven't we? Trying to pass a forgery. Needs to be arrested. Needs to have his opportunity to go through the justice system. And yeah, he had a criminal pass, so let's see how it plays out. But he never got that chance, did he? The officer put his knee on his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds and murdered him. It's an inappropriate response. We need the justice system to work for all people. And you say, Andy, but that's an outlier. Okay, even if it's an outlier, we need to demand an appropriate response. That our justice system would reflect the nature and character of God for all people. See, I think prejudice and bias came into that police officer. I doubt that the same thing would have happened to George Floyd if George Floyd were white. Don't know that. But I doubt it. See, when I read about Ahmaud Arbery and I read about George Floyd, and I come back to my eight-year-old son speeding, an expired license. And this is a son we cherish. He's got a bright future. He's going to college. We're having his graduation party this week. He's graduated from high school. I wonder, would he have been treated the same if he were black? Or would some things have been assumed of him? I hope so. They'd be treated the same. I, perhaps in Lincoln, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think so. I don't know. I'm not black. I saw statistics this week between 2017 and 2019, the Lincoln Police Department had 363,879 interactions with the public. Excessive force was reported in 0.0069% of those interactions. After investigation, that number went down to 0.0005. And I understand, statistics don't tell the whole picture. And there's probably stuff I don't know as a white man that the black man goes through. But 
I do believe if my son had been 18 year old speeding with an expired license in another part of the country, and he were black, he might have been treated differently. Look, we need the justice. We need government to work. God said it's what we've got until he comes back. So what do we do in this nation of ours? First, we, we pray. God, would you do a work? I think we listen to the people who haven't complained. Let that voice. So Andy, well, those protesters, they're, they're looting and they're, they're prosecute the looters. Prosecute those who set things on fire to the fullest extent of the law. But let's not miss what they're saying. Pray for our people who are in law enforcement right now. There are a lot of good men and women serving in law enforcement or who are being viewed through the lens of Derek Chauvin, the officer in Minneapolis. Pray for him. Pray also that God would raise up men and women to go into our justice system who have a call, who understand Romans 13, 1-7, that government is what we got and is God's vehicle. We need people who understand that as police officers, as judges, as prosecuting attorneys, as public defenders, as tax county assessors, as building inspectors, as health inspectors for the food. We, we need godly people. I'd say it's desperate. I, Andy, you overstated it? I don't think so. We need men and women with a call of God to serve in our government because that's what we got between now and the time Jesus comes back. So let me step out the United States for a minute to focus on governments internationally. Because we do have some issues, but internationally there are people with a lot greater issues. So people will say to me, Andy, in this passage, what about those countries that have totalitarian governments? That from, it says here, for there's no governing, no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. What, what would you say to that? For example, Hong Kong right now. 1997, they signed a treaty. They have uh, sovereignty for 50 years. Uh, China's decided, now nah, that's too long. They stepped in, and, and people are protesting. Now, now, people broke curfew about a month ago in Lincoln, and they, they were arrested, and they had a misdemeanor charge, and they had paid a $350 fine. You know what happens if you caught, get caught protest, protesting in Hong Kong right now against the government? Life in prison. That's an inappropriate response. Andy, what about those totalitarian governments? Maybe it's China, maybe it's North Korea, maybe it's Russia, maybe it's Iran. Here's what I'd say. A government is better than no government at all. See, I spent the 93, 94 school year in Russia. And it was chaos, it was anarchy. The mafia was running the country. The government was powerless. See, we entered in September. We went to December. We got out of the country, and we came back in in January. And both in September and January, we were, each one of us was given about $1,500 cash to carry into the country. And you know what began to wear on me? Comparatively, I'm super rich. And people picked me out as being American. And I thought, if somebody ever figured out the kind of money I had and they came after me, I had no one to call. By the end of that year, my GI tract was not working, to put it delicately. And I went through all these tests. Finally, I went back to the States. And over time, I got back to normal. And I asked my doctor, what do you think? He said, Andy, I think you stressed out. Do you know why I stressed out? There was no, you got it, there was no government 
If somebody came after me for my cash, I had no recourse. So you ask me, what about the totalitarian governments? Yeah, it's not God's ideal. Remember, we got sinful people filling the positions. we got power-hungry people. My answer would be still, a government is better than no government at all. Which brings me then back to our premise, which... Paul repeats in verse 5, therefore it is necessary to be in subjection. Subjection to who? Implied, to the government. Not only because of wrath, the wrath you'd face from the government, but also for conscience sake. That means you're going to be judged by God. It's what God's put in place. And he expects us to be in submission. When government's not fulfilling the duty, call them out. Call them to the standard of their be. But that's not carte blanche, to reject their authority. So, verses 6 and 7, we get a couple practical examples, a few, of what this looks like. For because of this, you also pay taxes, okay? So we talk about we have nice roads, and we have a police department, and we have a fire department, and we have a health inspector, and we have an army. That just doesn't happen. That takes money. Taxes. So the expectation is that we will fund the government with our taxes, For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God. Do you hear that? Rulers are servants of God. Uh, Proverbs 21, 1 says, The king's hand is like channels of water. Uh, The king's heart is like channels of water in God's hand. He turns it wherever he wants. They serve God's purposes, devoting themselves to this very thing. So what? Render to them what is due. Tax to whom tax is due. Look, take every tax exemption you can. But tax evasion is not okay. Not in God's economy. It's not okay. Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. What do we do in a courtroom when the judge walks in? All rise, we stand. What are we doing? We're honoring the office of the judge. We understand there's a high calling on this judge. We can't ever lose that perspective on our government officials. We may disagree with their politics, and that's okay to disagree with the politics, but we always honor the office. Why? They're God's servants. They're what we got until Jesus comes back. See, we're wrestling with this question, why? Why should Christians submit to government? Because God said so. Yeah, but I think there's a more compelling reason for us or another compelling reason for us. Government is God's vehicle for order. (laughs) Government is God's vehicle to maintain order. Without government, we got chaos. Until Jesus comes back, government is what we've got. We need to honor that. We need to submit to it. We need to call them to live up to God's standard, to live out God's values. So, maybe for some of us, this idea of submitting to government doesn't come easily. If you name the name of Jesus, 
You need to know he blazed a trail for you to follow in submitting to government authority. Remember those power-hungry Jewish leaders I talked about? Well, they eventually brought him to trial, but they didn't have authority to crucify him. For that, they had to go to Rome. And so they went to Pilate. He was the Roman prefect. And so Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate is examining Jesus. And there's a point where Jesus just goes silent. And Pilate, I'm not saying anymore. I know how this is going to go. So I'm in John 19, verse 10. Pilate said to Jesus, you do not speak to me? Jesus, you do not speak to me? Do you not know I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus, I, man, I, I, you, your life's in my hand and you're going silent on me. I got authority, pal. Listen to Jesus' answer. You have no authority over me unless or because it's been given to you from above. Yeah, Pilate, you got authority over me, but only because I've given it to you. Uh, you and I, we're serving God's purposes here. But please don't miss it. Jesus willingly and intentionally submits to government authority, even though he knows it's corrupt, even though he knows it's wrong. He's our model. He's our strength in submitting to government because it's God's vehicle to maintain order. So in the fifth grade, uh, we had a substitute teacher. And we had been warned by our homeroom teacher, Mr. Rickerman, that he didn't want to get a bad report. But we, we, didn't, we didn't take it very seriously. And we got a sub who was kind of unsure of herself and was insecure. And, man, we had a field day. Like, we changed names and we moved the desk and we stayed late at recess and we left early for P.E. And she didn't know Jack. <laughs> it's a great, great day. The problem was, the next day, Mr. Rickerman was back in class. And I remember school started at quarter to nine, 8.45, and I rolled into class about 8.40, and we were about two-thirds full. And I could tell by the look on his face, this is going to be a rough day. (laughs) And guess what? It was. He was not happy at all. There was no recess that day. There was an extra writing assignment on how we treated a sub, and, and there were a couple other things that he laid out. The consequences weren't worth the fun we had the day before. If that's true with Mr. Rickerman in the fifth grade at Kirby Elementary School, how much more with God and government? We get to heaven, we get before him, we subverted his vehicle to maintain order. God will judge that action. What I beg of us is that we look at Jesus, his model, in submitting to authority. That we could live out God's mandate, that government is his vehicle for maintaining order. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, 
we're challenged by this, and we're in a nation that's uh, got a good bit of unrest right now. Because uh, there's some people who do not feel like government is living up to their God-ordained responsibility. As a church, we, we need to be about that. Calling government to represent the character and nature of God for all people. Lord, would you empower us to that end? That we may function in order under the government that you've established. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.